0: Can education be fun, safe? Incorporate the natural environment and still be affordable? Actually affordable for anyone, even low-income families? We will learn today that yes, it can. Affordable preschool education, learning in outdoor classrooms. That's our focus in this hour of an organic conversation. Your show on everything that makes life worth living. Helge Helberg. From my limited German perspective, the educational system here in the US is a curious one. I come from a country where all education is free, all schools, preschools, and even college. Maybe there's a $400 sign-up fee for some universities, but in Germany, as in most of Europe, school and education is free and accessible to anyone, really anyone. Clearly not so here in the U.S., but maybe that is slowly but surely changing. We stumbled across an idea that now has taken beautiful shape and is proving itself as a great model, affordable preschool education, learning in outdoor classrooms making, in this case, preschool education fun, safe, and affordable, even for low-income families, as we will learn. That's our focus in this hour of an organic conversation. This show is brought to you by Fry Vineyards, America's first organic winery, family-owned and operated. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Frey never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Award-winning wines at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E dot And thank you also to Earls Organic Produce, a national distributor of organic fruits and vegetables that has been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. From grocery store to company cafeteria to caterers and personal chefs, anyone can buy from Earls Organic. Certified organic produce at earlsorganic.com. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Hellberg. Our topic in this hour is affordable preschool education, learning in outdoor classrooms. There's a model in Seattle, Washington that we have stumbled across an idea that has now taken beautiful shape and is proving itself as a great model, uh, perhaps for many other regions as well. We are speaking with the CEO of the Tiny Trees Preschool, who's joining us today from Seattle, Washington. That's Andrew J. Andrew, are you there?
1: Yes, so excited to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yes, wonderful for you to make time. I know your particular branch, your school, is a fairly new one. I believe you're just celebrating the first months of existence. Is that correct? Yes,
1: so we opened on September 12th of this year, and we have four different locations and parks in Seattle. Um, We have 160 children that now attend classes daily. And a little over half of those children receive financial assistance from Tiny Trees or free tuition through the Seattle Preschool Program which is a pretty amazing initiative that the city of Seattle is, is doing to bring universal preschool to, to our region.
0: Wonderful, and we want to talk about that financial model in, in just a minute, but let's frame the challenge that you are able to solve. I'm uh, Myself, I'm from Germany, and as it is the fact in many other countries around the world and all of the countries in Europe, All education is free, uh, from preschool to high school to college. Obviously not so here in the U.S. And when I did the research on your website, you have an interesting model that I was not aware of. Can you describe what the situation here is for a family? How much money does it take, even before regular school, for a family to take on in in financial burden or even in debt uh, to get a kid ready for school?
1: So when we were looking at Tiny Trees, when I was just thinking about outdoor preschool, it was the ability to cut the cost of operating a preschool and make it more affordable for families that really drew me to the concept of um, sort of for schools, outdoor, outdoor preschools. And you know, in Seattle, we, uh, we did a survey looking at a number of preschools for full-day programs, and we found that families are paying um, at a minimum, $1,200, and a maximum up to $3,000 a month for preschool. And so to put that in perspective, you know, that means a family is paying about sixteen dollars to $20,000 a year for uh, early childhood education, which, you know, for preschoolers can be three years of your life. I mean, our child could be entering kindergarten and have close to $60,000 in uh, student loans or education debt before they begin their public school career, you know, at the age of five years old. And we we have a very strong commitment to public education in K through 12 in the United States, but we have just the beginnings of public support for early learning in, the, in really the zero through five age range. And so it's a lot of financial anxiety for parents to think, can I afford to make sure my child has all of those emotional and social skills, those pre-academic skills, and that they're ready when they enter you know enter kindergarten. We we know the kids that. You know, have a preschool experience are more likely at third grade to be able to read, to be able to do math and science at grade level, and to have the emotional and social health to uh, to build positive relationships. You know, build to make enduring friendships and to be able to adapt to uh, you know a quickly changing education system.
0: Yeah, what's the and what's so, what's the yeah. what's the picture with that? So sixty thousand dollars could be the debt already before a child goes into into the regular school system. One out of three kids does not graduate from high school. Can you give us an understanding of what that means for our society? What are the consequences for their lives and and for the communities of kids not graduating from high school?
1: So we know that 60% of children in Washington State do not receive a preschool education and they enter kindergarten two years behind their peers. And for many of those children, that continues the high school where that third of high school, of, of those third of, of children, of children in the state will get to the end of their high school years and will not graduate. They'll, they'll drop out. Mm-hmm. They fall into the criminal justice system. And the consequence that you have is you have uh, a homelessness epidemic in, in Washington state. You have more young people entering into criminal justice, into jails and not being, being productive. And then you have more folks that are, um, that are stagnating you know we don't have we don't have the luxury of, of jobs that you could that you can do that don't require a college degree or some level of post-high school education and so you know by not graduating high school those young people go from being a productive helpful you know, part, of, part of society to requiring a lot of public support and so from you know the analysis that you know from a lot of the analysis that um the Federal Reserve has done, and economists they found that the investment in early learning is has a big multiplier effect for society in the long term. That if you're able to make sure that a young person is equipped when they to, to succeed when they enter school, they're more likely to then be a productive, happy, and um, you know mm-hmm. a citizen when they um when they graduate from high school. And so that's that's sort of sort of the big question of countries like how can we help. More families afford preschool. How can we lower that cost, and how can we support this emerging movement in Washington State towards universal preschool, towards more public funding for um, our littlest learners?
0: It's it's interesting when you when you say that, of course, a, a beneficial part of society or a contributing part of society, the alternative of that is not. Neutrality. It's not that they are not uh, contributing part of society. Mm-hmm. They're actually costing society resources and money. So it is, it's really, it, it switches from being beneficial to, you know, taking resources out of the system, right? If a child has no education and ends up in the criminal justice system, all of a sudden it's a, it's a problem from a from a benefactor to society to having now become a problem, you either have a positive impact or you have a negative impact on society. That's what you're saying. Yeah. those are the two choices.
1: Yep. And, and, it, and it becomes a, it becomes much harder to, uh, to intervene and to make a difference in around. that, that yeah. adult person's life sure. than it is um, to use a smaller amount of money and intervene. And make an impact in a young person's life when their when their brain is just starting to form and they're just starting to you know gain the gain the skills they need.
0: Yes, you're listening to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helberg, and our topic in this hour is affordable preschool education, learning in outdoor classrooms. On the phone with me is Andrew J. He's the CEO of Tiny Trees Preschool, a great new model that's happening in Seattle, Washington. Andrew, let's talk about that. How was the idea of tiny trees preschool born? What is it exactly, and how do you make it affordable?
1: Two years ago, I was hanging out with a number of friends, and, and I'm, not, I'm currently in mid mid thirties, and, and um, uh, quite a few folks in my social group have have you know started to have children and encountered the sort of surprising reality of how expensive preschool and childcare is. You know, in Seattle there's really long wait lists so you know you're really lucky to get into the your sort of top choice of a, of a school or a program mm-hmm. and then if you do get in um, it's just really expensive and and so as a, you know as a nonprofit person I've um, you know, spent a lot of time in in outdoor education with working with middle school and high school youth I started to dig into why is running a preschool so expensive and what I found is that the biggest cost is high quality teachers and and uh, and if you are investing in teachers, you really can create a great education regardless of the physical environment mm-hmm. that is there. Yes. And, so th- and so I started looking well, well, well that other sort of cost is, is the building. it's It's about the brick and mortar facility. Um, and all the costs that come with that. So you know having someone come in and clean your 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 um your classroom every evening, being able to have a receptionist who um, you know, can greet folks when they enter the building all the sort of additional roles that are required just to run that facility.
0: And heating, electricity, and maintenance, right all that security., maintenance, yeah.
1: all, all all that security, um, taxes, mm-hmm. you know most preschools are um, small nonprofits or private businesses. Um, so all of these buildings also have to be bought on the real estate market. So in a place like Seattle, um, which like many parts of, this, of of this country, the real estate market is is very hot, and so it's it's hard to afford you know the rent for for new uh, new preschool new spaces. So in addition to those high costs, you also have the inability to grow and expand. Sure. And so what that means is there's there's really long waiting lists. There's just not enough capacity for all of the families that really want to make sure that their kid does have, you know, a great, a great preschool experience.
0: And then who came up with and the idea of saying, well, what if we scratch the building altogether?
1: So that was where, that was where I <laughs> started looking at outdoor preschools. I was like, this is it. Um, there's something here. And it was when I toured an outdoor preschool in the university of Washington called Fiddlehead. It's run and it operates in a local park in the Arboretum. And what I found there is they share their budget, and that's where I found that by not having that building, they were able to pay their teachers a little bit more than market rate. So they were able to get these these really uh, highly qualified, very capable um, educators, but still offer a tuition that was a little bit lower than market rate. And and I looked at that model and I was like, this is something that if you scale, if you're able to offer. That experience to many families, I could bring the price down to probably 30 percent less than your typical preschool, and all of a sudden that becomes a conversation of, um, you know, that family that might make too much to qualify for subsidies, you know, from the city or the state, but they make too little money to actually afford preschool on their own. All of a sudden, that group of families has an affordable
0: preschool
1: option yeah we want to talk about the the
0: financial model in in much greater detail because i'm sure our mm-hmm. listeners are really curious about how you can make it work and what the costs really are but you you touched on you looked at in this case fiddlehead another outdoor education classroom in washington mm-hmm. this the the idea of scraping the building and and moving kids outdoors is not new, really, right? What have you found? Where where has it started no. and where has it been established yeah. already?
1: So outdoor preschools took off 50 to 60 years ago um, across Northern Europe. So specifically Denmark, Sweden, and Norway were really the origin of the, the forest school movement. And it really spread across Germany, Switzerland, and England, which is just in the United Kingdom. They have over 300 for schools, and that, and that's that's a lot of children. That's a significant portion of English families that are choosing to send their child to outdoor preschool in one of the rainiest, you know, most uh, gray, cloudy, you know, countries on Earth. And and looking at that, I was like, oh, it's so successful in these other countries. It's able to meet these education outcomes where those children are performing at grade level or higher when they, when they enter um school. And It's in climates that are as wet and cold as the Pacific Northwest and in some cases much colder. Um, And that's where I was like, this is, this is something that's feasible in Seattle and is very timely, very much meets, uh, you know, a need that a lot of families are looking to address.
0: Great. We're going to take a quick break, but thank you again for making the time today. It's such an interesting topic. It's Andrew J, the CEO of Tiny Trees Preschool out of Seattle, Washington, a great new model, or not so new, really, since it has been successfully established all over Europe already, as we just heard, to make Preschool Education, Affordable Learning in Outdoor Classrooms. That's our topic here in this hour of An Conversation. I'm Helge Hellberg, and we'll be right back with so much more. And a thank you to our underwriters. This show is brought to you by Equal Exchange, a worker-owned cooperative that ensures your food is environmentally sound and socially just. Equal Exchange has been creating big change for small farmers for over 30 years by offering certified organic and fair trade coffee, tea, chocolate, bananas and avocados. More on Equal Exchange at EqualExchange.coop. That's EqualExchange.coop. And by Adderly, offering beautiful and fun clothing for boys and girls that is made entirely from the unused fabric of prominent apparel manufacturers. Each garment reduces our eco footprint by preventing this fabric from reaching the waste stream. Adderly, making sustainability fashionable and fashion sustainable. For more information, adderly.co. That's U-T-T-E-R-L-Y dot C-O. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. Our topic in this hour is a new preschool concept that uses the outdoors to create an exceptional and affordable education framework. We're speaking with the CEO of Tiny Trees Preschool out of Seattle, Washington. That's Andrew J, who's joining us in this hour of an organic conversation. Um, Andrew. You talked about the model has been spread throughout Europe, northern Europe. Uh, Weather in England was not a problem. They somehow managed it. Just to get into that, if people listen and say, well, sure, in California or in Washington, maybe on the West Coast, but we here in Nebraska, there's just no way... Uh, and maybe there is no way to do it in, in really cold climates. But how are you tackling this really true outdoor experience, having the kids being outdoors all day or half the day? How do you equip them?
1: So the Scandinavian proverb is that there's no bad weather, just bad clothing. Hmm. Um, and so for us, we make sure that our children you have the equipment to be warm and dry you know, regardless of the weather. And so what requires a lot of coaching of parents you know, on how to, you know, make sure that the children has long underwear and, and, and you know, and sleeves and, and the wool and synthetic materials to, you know, stay warm when they're wet. And then we also give every child uh, a one-piece rain suit and a pair of insulated rubber boots. And, uh, you know, and, and part of that is to make sure that every child has the equipment that they need to be successful. And then part of that is also to make sure that uh, you know every child uh, you know, very much has a uniform. So you can't actually look at a classroom and say, oh, these are the children on scholarship and these are the children that, uh, that are a little more fluent. And so it, it combines that utility and equity. And we found it's been a, been very successful. Um, you know, we, we definitely have, have had a few days where um, you know, parents will, will show up and be a little skeptical because ethic rains, but with a combination of good rain gear... You know, having the designated rain shelter for for every location that you can go to. So maybe maybe a picnic shelter. Uh, it might be a tarp set up. and then also outdoor preschool is about keeping children moving and warm. So you don't have as much sitting in a chair time as you might in an in indoor space. So that means that children are able <laughs> to um, generate a lot of the heat that you sure. need to to keep moving.
0: Yeah, I mean they're not sitting for four hours on their butts looking at a at a chalkboard yeah. to you know what the teacher tells them, but they're romping around, right? They're discovering things. They're running nonstop. I would assume somehow, climbing a tree uh, uh, on a tree maybe whatever is the educational lesson that day but they're constantly active so that certainly keeps them warm it is an interesting time to open your school though you said September 12th with Seattle in the winter months being a very wet place you're really trying to prove that it works it sounds like.
1: Yes, and, and this year is, is a La Nina year, so it has been uh, wetter and colder than normal, and October uh, was actually the wettest month on record, and and we received pretty epic rains every day. And so it was a very much a, a good a good testing year for us when it comes to the weather. And what, what we've learned is that, uh, is that kids are really excited about the weather, like, you ask the child what is their favorite part of the classroom, and they talk about how much they love the mud puddles and the mudslide that, that they've created or you know how cool it is that the sandbox has turned into a giant um, mud factory where they can, you know, where they can create you know, any, any sculptures or uh, sculptures or castles or anything that they're excited about. Sure. And uh, I think that's an important thing to remember, is that for children, they really only care about their comfort in the moment. They're not thinking, they don't have the anxiety like adults about the uh, comfort in the future. And so, you know, a parent will check their iPhone in the morning and see that it's going to rain, you know, over an inch that day and get really concerned and have to work with their teachers to make sure that their child is prepared. But from the kid perspective, that's just a really awesome day where there is so much water to play with. And, and so for us, you know, we've, we've just made sure that those systems are there and then um, we just find ways to to make those those play opportunities available and And the kids have been pretty uh, pretty excited about it,
0: so, with a few months into it now, uh, what have you learned? What is working well, and what where had you uh, where you needed to make some adjustments, what can still be improved, both for your particular school and in the overall system if if you already have a perspective there? Mm-hmm. Um, of what you've learned before, we go into the the finance details that we want to talk about. But what is what has yep. worked well and what has needed some attention?
1: There were there were a number of things that we knew were going to work well in an outdoor preschool. We've been really impressed. We we just knew going in that kids were going to get a lot more exercise than your than your typical preschool. Um, we knew that we were going to be able to meet the same academic outcomes in terms of you know, having a literacy rich classroom, being able to make sure there's numbers um and symbol play and that children are are you know, getting all of those um sort of curriculum pieces so they're ready when they enter kindergarten. And all of that has been really easy. I'd say the, the big surprises on the positive side have been um how relatively quiet our classrooms are. You know, if you if you go into your typical preschool, um it's really loud and there's you know there's a lot of shrieking children and Um, There's a lot of energy going on, and what what we found is that in an outdoor classroom, it's a lot quieter, and children are less anxious. And that lower anxiety is really manifested in interesting ways. Like um, uh, we have far fewer children on the first day of school crying than your your typical preschool, and most of those children adjusted to the first day because in in your typical preschool experience, the first time that a child is leaving their parent, and they can be really sad and have 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 all this anxiety and If there's other children around them in a closed space that are sharing that anxiety, um, they can build on each other. And so for us, seeing that lower anxiety has made it pretty big. Pretty, yeah, uh, interesting. That
0: awesome, now but, that you're saying that, f- to to say goodbye to your parents for the first day in school, and then sit mm-hmm. in a form that they've never sat in before, which is focused mm-hmm. for several hours on a chair with little breaks, perhaps, but still, uh, all mm-hmm. of a sudden they're required from one day to the next to be able to sit still, take in, uh, in a completely new environment, uh, with very little physical involvement. It's all. All of a sudden, mm-hmm. it's all about brain. That seems actually wrong. It doesn't, all of a sudden, it makes the Tiny Trees preschool concept or outdoor education not just a financial model that is so much smarter, but you're actually easing a greater focus on learning into a child's life that was, you know, all it knew up until that point was to run around. And now it gets to understand what what is the environment that I'm actually interacting with and running around in but you're not confining them to a chair and a chalkboard. That's what you're saying, right? Yes.
1: Yes. So we, we believe that a joyful childhood is essential to a great education. Mm -hmm. And, and you were seeing preschools across the country starting to embrace play as, as a cornerstone of education Mm -hmm. and then the need to, to bring more of that, of, of that joy into childhood. And, that's been so easy in an outdoor environment. Because for sure, a child, the do. outdoors is this joyful place. It's full of wonder. It's full of, full of you know, all of these cool things to explore. There's so many new ways that you can interact with the environment. And that has led to, has supported a lot of the academic outcomes that you that you may be looking for in an indoor preschool. But it has also led to these really great emotional and social outcomes You know, to children that are... You know, better able to empathize with you know another child to to learn how to share, to develop patience, and impulse control, being able to you know wait to, until another child is done with them, with a toy, or being able to learn negotiate. how to collaborate.
0: Sure, exactly. Neg- negotiate
1: and, and all those human skills that are essential, and it's not just essential essential for school, but if you are looking for what are the skills that are going to differentiate humans from robots um, in 30 years and that are to sure that you, the job that you're looking for is still there when you graduate you know, college, um, it all comes down to human skills mm-hmm. and the ability to work with others. And that's where we feel like we're not just preparing kids for kindergarten, but we're making sure that they have that boost. You know, for the rest
0: of their lives. And it's really beautiful. There's a surprise factor in nature. Of course, you have a curriculum, and we want to talk about that next. But mm-hmm. uh, the, the surprise, you don't know if you, even as a teacher, if there will be a salamander or if there will be mm-hmm. you, whatever. You might find a snake. And in a classroom, you don't have that. It's really just based on the curriculum. So even the stress on the teacher is much greater if you know I'm walking in and I'm walking out in 45 minutes, and mm-hmm. this is what they need to get in those 45 minutes. End of story. Uh, how how is that for teachers to interact with nature and be spontaneous and and learn how to deal with the moment?
1: It's it's really great for both those opportunity lessons. You know, if you are walking down a trail and an owl lands on a branch, you can take a moment and talk about the owl and uh, and talk about birds and talk about all the systems that that are in nature that relate to that owl. It's a great teaching opportunity. But it also works for, you know, planned teaching lessons. So if you as a teacher want to read a book, you know, about animals in the classroom, you know, like a classic early childhood book is The the Very Hungry Caterpillar. And, and, uh, you know, if you read The Very Hungry Caterpillar, and then as a class you go out and you search for caterpillars and insects and other bugs, and try to find leaves that look like they've been eaten by caterpillars. All of which are activities that really help children develop find motor control, to get really close, you know, and develop their observation skills. And all of a sudden, that planned lesson that would have been more abstract in a classroom becomes very relevant in an outdoor space.
0: Sure. Yeah. You mentioned the 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 success of the educational part that they do better. How do you measure that? And what is the curriculum? who developed the curriculum did you adopt that from a european model or are there at this point if if people listen to this in other communities and are interested in starting their own preschool education format outdoors are there concepts or edu- educational packages that you can adopt
1: yes so our model is actually a little bit easier as a package than than some you know other outdoor preschools the goal of Chinese trees is to bring the four-school movement mainstream. Like, we really want to show and demonstrate that an outdoor preschool can reach the same social, emotional, and academic outcomes as an indoor preschool, that your child is just as prepared when they enter kindergarten. But they also get this really joyful childhood, you know, this childhood immersed, immersed in the natural world. And so what we use specifically is the high scope curriculum, and it was developed in Michigan, it's very evidence based curriculum was it was uh, created based on one of the longest preschool studies that they've done called the Perry Preschool Project. Mm-hmm. And that was in the nineteen sixties where they actually followed um, a number of children from age three all the way up to well into their fifties now. And that's where they found the children that go to preschool, you know, are more likely to learn to read, more likely to succeed at math, to graduate high school, you know, to now in their fifties, more likely likely to be married, to have less of alcohol or substance abuse challenges, less likely to have spent time in the juvenile justice system or incarcerated as an adult. And all of that data came from this this study. And so that high school curriculum is very much seen as sort of the gold star of high quality traditional preschool curriculum. Mm -hmm. And so for Tiny Trees, being able to take that curriculum, adapt it to an outdoor delivery, we're able to demonstrate that this is quality. We are just as high quality as your traditional preschool. We just happen to be delivering it in this outdoor classroom, outdoor context.
0: How do you how um, do you measure that? Are you measuring the educational success? I know you just started, but are you keeping track of of kids' development?
1: Yes. Yep. So um, so we again use another system that's um it's very mainstream. It's called Teaching Strategies Goal. It follows children throughout their preschool career and you're tracking them according to developmental milestones. So each day, our teachers are making observations on our children and saying, oh, this child is demonstrating this level of fine motor skills, like ability to, you know, hold uh, uh, marbles or, or, or a pen or a pencil. Um, and it's developing this level of gross motor skills, you know, the ability to, to climb trees and, uh, you know, balance on logs. And then it's also developing, is, is, is showing these specific emotional and social mm-hmm. indicators. You know, here's this demonstration of them, you know, showing empathy or, Here's observation of them still working on developing impulse control, and that is something that we need to prioritize as, as teachers. Great. And so those observations, which are small and quick on a daily basis, add up over time to a longer trend for each child so that when you have a parent-teacher conference, you're able to say, oh, you know, your child is really excelling in these ways. Um, we think that they could use some help in this specific area of development here's a few things you might want to think of doing at home with, uh, with your child, and, and here's a few things that we've been doing in, in the classroom with your child to help them sort of meet those goals. Beautiful. Um, and then what we end with, at the end of the school year, we then uh, use that data to, to do a final assessment of, of each child that is entering kindergarten. So next year, we'll be able to look at our cohort of graduating five-year-olds and say they're specifically performing at this level in reading, math, social, and emotional skills. And then since we are using the same assessment system that um, all kindergartens, teachers in Washington State use, we then are able to compare our data to the same data for the school district when those children enter kindergarten um, because they go through the same assessment. And what that means is we're actually able to say, oh, so our children are performing this percentage um, above grade level. Um, compared to their school district, or they're performing a little bit lower in this area compared to the school district. And so that's that's the data that we're really excited to, uh, to have, because we're able to, able to make a pretty clear case. Sure. This is the, this is the clear benefit of, yeah. um, of outdoor preschool. In addition, there's all these intangible, awesome benefits of you know, just being able to be a kid outdoors for sure for two or three years of your life.
0: Affordable preschool education, learning in outdoor classrooms, that's our topic in this hour of an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helberg, and I'm speaking with Andrew Jay, the CEO of the Tiny Trees Preschool, who's joining me today from Seattle, Washington, really on behalf of the preschool outdoor education classroom model. Andrew, we're almost out of time, but I do want to talk about the financial Contributions you have made it possible to even get a stipend for people, and you touched on that earlier, just a little bit. That don't make enough to get a kid into preschool education, but make too much to get subsidized uh, as well. How many kids do you have, and and what is the exact financial model that that it costs with you?
1: So we have a hundred and sixty children that are enrolled at Tiny Trees, and. A uh, little over fifty. So, fifty-six percent of those children receive either financial assistance from Tiny Trees or free tuition through the Seattle Preschool Program. And so, we you know, we are very much committed to to equity and affordability. And so, when we created our model, we created two prices. And so, there's one which is our regular price, and that actually is a little bit more than the cost of operating preschool. It generates a little bit a little bit of a surplus. And then there's a second price that reflects all the cost savings involved in our model and it uses a little bit of that surplus from folks who are paying regular price. And so the re- and so what that turns into is folks who are receiving financial assistance are getting a little less than half off tuition from, from tiny trees. That means if you're doing um, you know, a five-day-a-week program and the regular price is $700, you, know, you you would be paying 500
0: or $450. And that's per um, month, in you're addition, saying? $700 per, a yep, month?
1: Yep, per month. So it would come out for a, for a 10-month year. Um, the regular price would be about $7,000. The financial assistance price would be a little under
0: $5,000. Which, again, you um, said in the beginning is, what, about half or l- almost l- less than half or a little bit more than half of what yep, regular price yep, so you so can it,
1: so exactly. So so, it'd be a, so when the Seattle preschool program did their assessment of preschool in Seattle, they found that it cost ten thousand dollars, so one thousand dollars a month to offer basic preschool. And so for our financial assistance families, they're paying half of the market rate in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, in addition to that, by qualifying as a provider, so doing all of the work that we've been doing with our curriculum and our teacher training and our quality. We're able to become a provider for universal preschool in Seattle, which is called the Seattle Preschool Program. And what that means is families that make $72,000 um, for a family of four or less, which is a substantial portion of our city, they qualify for free tuition at Tiny Trees paid for by the city of Seattle. And, and that's, a, that's a big deal for us because, you know, at, at our classrooms, at our Seattle Preschool Program classrooms, uh, half of the children are receiving free tuition. About a quarter, an additional quarter of the children are receiving financial assistance from, from Tiny Trees. that are paying that sort of middle rate, and then another quarter is paying um, full price. And what you get is this really beautiful integrated classroom, mm-hmm. where you have children learning how to communicate across difference. Um, you have families that are building relationships with with other families in their neighborhood that they may not all interact with on a daily basis. Um, you get a much more culturally rich classroom and that's, that's where, you know, Tiny Freeze is ultimately looking to replicate. It's like we want to create these mixed income classrooms and offer that experience, you know, across, um, Western Washington so that families have an easy, affordable outdoor preschool option in their neighborhood. You know, if outdoor preschool makes them if that's
0: what they are side of, sure, um, and that is the, the you're right. we, yeah yeah, that is the the actually the last question I have for you. Can you see mm-hmm. this not not just limited to Washington or Seattle, but can you see this as a model that could work anywhere in the u s? or are there limitations whether maybe being one if it's a really harsh winter, or Are you saying mm-hmm. no, it, it's really about equipment and if you have a little bit of a shelter for a few hours? even in winter, it's generally a model that could work anywhere. Is that your message?
1: Uh, Yes, uh, in most places. And I would say that there are some parts of the upper Midwest where the outdoor preschools do have some sort of building associated that they do use for the snowiest and coldest days. Uh, I would say that it it can work anywhere, but once you do get below, you know, well below zero, it does become hard no matter how good the, the clothing is. So
0: and weather is really the easy. only the only obstacle, right? I mean, if, if it gets so harsh that yep. you can't be outdoors, you can use a public library maybe. I mean, there can be arrangements made exactly. where for a few weeks of the year, a few days or a few weeks, you do have an alternative and it's already built in knowing that this will be extremely cold. But other than weather, this is not limited community-wise by anything else, I hear. No.
1: So it, it is definitely a growing movement across the United States. One great organization that is uh, helping support for schools is called the Natural Start Alliance. And they actually have a map and track uh, outdoor preschools as they're opening. So if families are looking for an outdoor preschool in their neighborhood, um, the Natural Start Alliance can give great recommendations of, of folks that are already doing that work and also support teachers that are looking to bring more of an outdoor experience into the classroom. Because the great thing with outdoor preschools is that it doesn't always, it doesn't have to be a new organization. It could be a great preschool that decides that they want to have two days a week entirely outdoors sure. at their at their neighborhood park.
0: And otherwise, uh, would it be okay to learn more from Tiny Trees?
1: Yes, yep. So um, you can you can learn more about Tiny Trees at tinytrees.org, and we've got lots of uh, lots of stories and a lot more information on our blog about how to build a great school.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much for having the idea, for making it possible, actually, for creating it. 160 kits. That's amazing. That's how many individual uh, classes?
1: So it is uh, six outdoor classrooms.
0: Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Yes, much success to you. It sounds like an amazing model, and I can't wait to have you back in a year or so to just learn from the experience and refine it even further but it sounds like it's addressing so many aspects not just for the kids not just for the teachers uh, but for the community at large and that those are the projects that deserve the label of true sustainability thank you so much that's andrew J, the ceo of tiny trees preschool out of seattle washington again tinytrees.org thanks andrew for your work and for making time today
1: thank you i really appreciate
0: it yes great work have you back soon take care all right, thank you. Bye. Bye. And that is our focus, or was our focus in this hour affordable preschool education, learning in outdoor classrooms, making preschool education fun, safe, and absolutely affordable. Wonderful work, tinytrees.org. We are switching topics, but staying with the overall theme of sustainability. Here's our consumer update from the world of produce what's going on on the produce dock, how to shop for it, how to buy it, how to store it and what to do with it, organic fruits and vegetables. Of course, with Earl Herrick, here is what's in season. And as we have him every week, hopefully, with us is the voice of the San Francisco Produce Doc, Mr. Organic, Mr. Earl Herrick, the founder and owner of Earl's Organic Produce. Earl, are you there?
2: Hello, Helga. <laughs> Good morning to you.
0: Good morning. It's a, it's a beautiful January. How are things on the dock?
2: Uh, something a little different right now, because myself and our company and many individuals, around the world, actually. You're focusing on uh, what's going to be happening uh, January 25th to the 28th down at uh, Pacific Grove, which is just south of Monterey, California. There's the the annual uh, EcoFarm Conference.
0: For almost 40 years, it's a think tank, as you said, close to Monterey County, California, where Educators and farmers and policymakers and chefs and eaters gather uh, anyone who's interested in food or the food system to stir and be stirred. I would say. What sticks out for you for this year? What are you excited about?
2: One of them is that you know, when I talk to people about it, I say it's, it's at the very least a gathering of the tribes, yes. uh, but it's an incredibly reinvigorating, and for people new to the industry, you really get to witness and experience what this industry is about at its core, and it can be an incredibly regenerating process.
0: So. Yeah, that's those are the, the six big themes. They say uh, get inspired, mm-hmm. uh, recharge, because the location is phenomenal, right, at the uh-huh. beach in, at Asilomar, yeah. uh, south of Monterey, quite gorgeous, and you can see whales every january we see whales there uh, yes right th- there's community and dance there's learn of course lots of workshops um, there's uh, advocacy there's engaging with elders oh. and community and there's honor right we're honoring oh. our heroes no uh,
2: doubt i i just wanted to run down a li- a real short list like i said like you said there're maybe 100 or or i don't know 50 to 100 different workshops i just wanted to run wow. down yes. a couple one workshop highlights for me are, you know, they're workshops for seasoned farmers and, and ranchers, for beginning farmers and ranchers. There, there are a number of uh, workshops that are held uh, specifically for, for uh, Spanish as primary language mm, uh, nice. growers and farmers. That's great. They're for merchants, handlers, distributors, for agricultural activists, for educators and researchers. Uh, there's a, uh, some great stuff on social justice, advocacy, and cultural diversity. Anyway, I just wanted to mention those. For me, some of the ones that, that stood out, I'm actually going through the pamphlet right now, and I'm actually going to read some of the things from here because
0: sure. Go ahead.
2: some of the stuff I'm looking forward to. One is, this one's called an annual research roundup, and it's, a, a, it's recent scientific supporting organic. Oh, you know, nice. That's that's really powerful because, you know, sometimes you get challenged in this industry, you know, like, why is it organic? What does it mean? Why, why is that important? And after you talk about, you know, what you intuit and how your heart feels, for many people, they need real evidence. And, and to be able to talk about that is, is absolutely important. I'm going to read a little bit about this. This workshop will help bridge the gap between science and the public, by covering research on applied solutions for farmers, the environmental effects of organic systems, and the human health impacts of exposure to pesticides.
0: One, mean, wonderful. Yeah, we had Maria Rodale on the show just a few months back, uh, of course, of Rodale Institute talking about the latest research and how compelling that is. Finally, now we have long-term studies of both GMOs as well as organic over 10 or 20 years, and we can finally uh, see that organic outperforms any other system because it is based on healthy soil, even if they are short-term gains maybe with other technologies or even GMOs. They all falter after a few years because they just don't hold up the same performance curve when you, when you bet on technology. So uh, yes. incredible. That's, yeah, that,
2: I'm looking forward to yeah, me too. that workshop. Another one that's grabbed my attention is, is called Getting Your Farm Business on the Right Legal and Financial Footing. You know, in dealing with a lot of small growers, yeah. some that are emerging. This is an aspect that, I mean, a grower it not only has to be an artist with the work that they do with the soil, but they got to be grounded as business people.
0: Yeah, nice and pun. It's, and yes.
2: I've talked to many people that, uh, in talking about you know, uh, planning, production, and all that, When you when you start talking about other aspects, they're not you know they there are a huge
0: gap, right, and taking yeah. a loan out maybe without much equity it's just uh, yeah it's a business you want to run it doesn't actually yeah. it doesn't matter how how green you are if you can't be economically viable, you won't stay in business yes so yes yeah, wonderful then, that that's really now in people's awareness and they're offering c- courses and workshops on that It's great yeah the uh,
2: you know part of that is too is. You know, everybody would love to own property, but out here in California, you're leasing it and understand the, the you know, the financing and the and the application mm-hmm. of that.
0: And that but, might actually be even smarter. You know, some business models leasing land of a long-term, 20-year lease, if you can get that, yeah. might make more financial sense than going yep. into debt.
2: The uh, other topic, which is, you know, pretty relevant and a hot topic right now, there's an organic cannabis certification. <laughs> uh, a workshop going on I mean, of you know, course of course they are very real <laughs> you know i'd be interested to see what they have to say about that the other one is this one another one's called pathways to ownership and you know that is so important because the challenges are so immense, and to find out that there are some avenues that you can pursue that will that will uh, assist you in getting there there's a workshop mm hmm that will help you in Amazing. negotiating and composing a lease, and and also pathways to ownership. I mean, that kind of stuff is yeah. invaluable.
0: So and important, the,
2: it, and here's the workshop you can go to, and then afterwards you you can uh, there's a Q and A that happened uh, at at the workshop, of course, but you have like minded people that you can. Uh, yeah, exactly.
0: That's the value to discuss what you hear with you know yeah. sixteen hundred, eighteen hundred people who will be there for four days, again yeah. from farmers to chefs to eaters to policymakers to politicians. It's all they're all there, uh, educators, etc., and to to and and like-minded folks in exactly in your shoes that you will find to run those ideas, discuss that, discuss their experience. Cool, and that's again Eco in Asilomar, Monterey. That's uh, at the Pacific Grove Conference Center, January 25th to the 28th, eco-farm.org, E-C-O-farm.org. Check it out. Even if you just have some chickens in the backyard, uh, this this conference is for everyone, the the professional and the amateur food lover. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's the defining principle. It doesn't matter where you fall in the spectrum. Thank you, Earl. I will see you down (laughs) there, in fact.
2: Great. I'm looking forward to it. Me
0: too, so much. (laughs) I'll see you on the step, And then we'll have you back next week. Yes, sir. Thanks so much, Earl. Take care. Absolutely. (laughs) Bye. Bye. And that wraps up a beautiful hour of an organic conversation. What's in season and affordable preschool education, learning in outdoor classrooms, scraping the building and saving the budget by doing so and providing a much more interactive and fun learning environment and curriculum for preschoolers, including their parents and teachers and the community at large, as we learned today. This is an Organic Conversation. I'm Helge Helberg, and I look forward to being back with another episode next week. Thanks so much for listening. An Organic Conversation is a proud production of the Organic Media Network. Associate Producer, Kristen Ponger. The show is made possible through the fantastic support of our underwriters. Bowman College, a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Become a nutrition consultant or a natural chef at one of their campuses or learn from home in a self-paced mentored distance learning program. For more information on a degree in Holistic Nutrition or the Culinary Arts, bowmancollege.org. Thank you also to Earls Organic Produce, a national distributor of organic fruits and vegetables that has been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. From grocery store to company cafeteria to caterers and personal chefs, anyone can buy from Earls Organic. Certified Organic Produce at Earls Organic. Dot com. And Fry Vineyards, America's first organic winery, family-owned and operated. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Award-winning wines at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. And Batiste Drum, The first eco-positive rum of the Caribbean. Ask for Batiste Rum at Trader Joe's and Whole Foods and other fine retailers. More information at BatisteRum.com. That's B-A-T-I-S-T-E-R-H-U-M.com. For more episodes and our podcasts, go to anorganicconversation.com. And of course, you can follow us on facebook.com forward slash anorganic conversation. Our Twitter handle is Talk Organic, and we're also on Instagram. I'm Helge Helberg, host and executive producer of an organic conversation. And we'll be back with another episode next week. Thank you so much for listening.